All right, we are in Acts chapter 13. We have been moving through the book of Acts and, and we come to chapter 13 and I've entitled this, Taking the Show on the Road. Uh, we started out in the book of Acts in chapter 1 with verse 8, which kind of gave us the diagram for what the, what the book of Acts was going to look at, look like. In Acts 1.8 it says, But you, shall, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you shall be my witnesses in both Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and even the remotest parts of the earth. And so far, in the first 12 chapters, we have watched the gospel go beginning in that first church in Jerusalem, which was primarily Jewish people that had been there for Passover. They got saved, they stayed, and thousands and thousands got saved. It became, it went zero to 60 uh, in a heartbeat. It became the very first church and they did, they, they expanded so fastly that, fast that they had some problems. But they, they overcame those. And then a persecution came by a man by the name of Saul. And he was a young rabbi trained under Gamaliel. He, uh, he hated the church. He was standing there when Stephen was stoned and uh, gave his consent to that. And he became the persecutor of the church. And he was putting people in prison, having them put to death, and he was going all the way up to Damascus to try to stop the onslaught of the gospel going out, and it was in, on the road to Damascus where he got saved. And then last week we saw the persecution of the Romans under Herod, because the church had became so powerful that it was threatening to him. And he would let nothing threaten his kingdom. And so he got James, the apostle, and had him beheaded. And he was planning on doing the same thing to Peter. And God says, nope, it's not Peter's time yet. Peter's going to die as an old man. And he broke him out of prison. And we saw that last week. And now in chapter 13, we're going to see as God sends out from a place called Antioch the first two missionaries. So Acts chapter 13, and we're going to begin with the first three verses. Now there were in Antioch, in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius the Cyrene, Man, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas, and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then when they had fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. 
Why Antioch? Why not the church in Jerusalem? The church in Jerusalem was obviously the largest church. But I believe that he chose Antioch because Antioch was so diverse. It was, we talked about this before. There were people who were coming that were Romans. There were people who were coming that were Greeks. There were Jewish people that came up. And I want you to notice he picks out five men. And as he picks them out, first one he tells us is Barnabas. Now we first met Barnabas all the way back in chapter 4 when Barnabas, it says his name was Joseph from Cyprus. Oh, isn't that interesting? They nicknamed him Barnabas because he was the son of encouragement. He's the one that came alongside Saul. When nobody wanted to hang out with Saul, he said, I'll listen to you. I'll encourage you. And so they picked Barnabas. When Antioch started to become uh, learned about that there was a big church that was starting there, there was a church that was reaching a lot of people, the apostles sent Barnabas up there. To, to see what was going on. Barnabas went over and gets Saul, who's in Tarsus by now because he had been run out of town. And he brings Saul over and they minister there. And then they come back down to Jerusalem. And that's what we saw in the end of chapter 12, that they had brought a gift down to Jerusalem and now they headed back to Antioch. Because they wanted to encourage the people there. The next one we see in our list is Simon, who was called Niger. Now, Niger is simply the word for black, but you notice that it is capitalized. The likelihood is, is that he came from Africa. He had heard what was going on up in Antioch, and I, I've got to see what's happening up here. So, so Simeon, sorry, I said Simon, Simeon from Niger, probably from Africa. Then we see Lucius of Cyrene. Now, where's Cyrene? Cyrene is in northern Africa, what is today Libya. So we have somebody else from Africa that's coming up to see what's going on. The next one that we see here is Manon, who's a Roman who was raised with Herod Antipas. Now, could two guys go two different ways? They were raised together. The term that's used in here means foster son. So he was a foster brother with Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas becomes the one who's going to be uh, in charge of, of having a, a trial over Jesus. And man, but here's man, and he's a Roman, and he's been raised at the highest level in the palaces, but yet he chooses Christ. And he becomes a teacher in this place called Antioch. And then we see a young man by the name of Saul. Saul, Roman father, 
Jewish mother, raised in Tarsus, which is about 80 miles from Antioch, brought to brought to Jerusalem to be trained under Gamaliel, becomes a young rabbi, teaching out of the school of Gamaliel, becomes a persecutor who then becomes the, the preacher. We see these five men. Now, the interesting thing is they say that they are the prophets and the teachers. Now, that's two of the offices that Paul is later going to write about in the book of Ephesus. In the book of Ephesus, chapter 4, he gives us the five gifts of the ministry. And he says, we, have, we gave some as apostles, some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the service to the building up of the body of Christ. Now we hear in this passage that there's two of those gifts, right? Prophets and teachers. Out of these five men, they're prophets and teachers. But what about this apostle thing? Well, apostle simply means sent ones. They're the missionaries. That's the term we use today. They're missionaries. The church has not sent, specifically sent, anyone out yet. And notice who picks, who goes. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit said, set apart Barnabas and Saul. So they, they prayed and they laid hands on them. And then what did they do? They sent them away. You see, that's really what the church is about. Because what, what did Ephesians 4 say? For the equipping of the saints for what? The work. Right? For the work of building up the body of Christ. Now, are we the body of Christ? Absolutely. Is the church down the street the body of Christ? Absolutely. Is the church in Ecuador the body of Christ? Absolutely. You see, that's one of the things, a lot of times we think, oh, we want to train people up to take care of our people. No! We're to... We're to train people up, and when we get them trained, we go, 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 go do some, go someplace else and help them build the church. And so they took Barnabas and Saul, and they sent them away. And then their job is, well, we need to train somebody to replace them here. But they had the first apostles the sent ones out of the church of Antioch, and they leave. Now, we come to verses 4 through 12. And so, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there sailed to Cyprus, and when they reached Salamis, 
they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they also had John as their helper. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Pathos, Pathos, they found a magician, a Jewish false prophet whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. And this man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimaeus, the magician, that's the same person that we've talked about, Bar-Jesus, Elimaeus, the magician, for so his name is translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, <coughs> excuse me, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, fixed his gaze on him and said, "Who are full of you are full of all deceit and fraud." <coughs> excuse me. You are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil. You enemy of all righteousness. Will you not cease to make the crooked ways, the crooked, the straight ways of the Lord? Now behold, the Lord, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened and being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. And we'll just, we're going to stop right there. We see their missionary journey start. Here's kind of a map. Let's see if I can get this pointer going here. There we go. Here they are in Antioch, about a 12-mile trip down to the ocean to a seaport, Seleucia. They sail across to the eastern side of Cyprus, the island of Cyprus, begin preaching here. They make their way preaching all the way over to Pathos. And, and that's where they meet the proconsul. Now, why Cyprus? Well, number one, it's the first place on the trip. You, you ever go on one of those road trips where you say, we're not going to plan on anything. We're going to stop when we get tired. And hopefully there's a Motel 6. Right? We're, gonna, we're just going to go and we're going to see where it takes us. Well, the first stop, the first ship they got on took them to the, to the little town of Salamis. They preached there. It doesn't say much happened. And then so they go on and they're preaching across the island of Cyprus. Now, why Cyprus is where who's from? Barnabas. Good old Barney. He knows everybody. It's like taking me to go to Costco. It's going to take you a while. As a matter of fact, Sergius Paulus recognizes him. He wants to talk with him. He hears, the, he hears Barnabas is, is, is back preaching. But what's he preaching about? I want to hear, I've heard these rumblings from Antioch, not that far away, that, that there's this thing called the way, and now they're calling them Christians. I want to hear more. He says is he's an intelligent man. It just takes a smart man to seek out Jesus. And they get all the way over, and they meet this guy. 
His first, the first name we see him as is, is Bar-Jesus, son of Jesus. You think he had a little bit of a scam going on? He absolutely did. And it says that his real name was Elimaeus, the sorcerer, magician, sorcerer. Those are the same thing. And he has the ear of Sergius Paulus. Be careful who you get advice from. You know, here's this guy. Oh, hey, I'm going to make you rich and famous. I, all you got to do is name it and claim it. And it's all yours. And, and, and watch these party tricks. Nothing up my sleeve, right? He, he, he's the one that's advising me. And of course, he knows what's, what was his name he was going by, Bar Jesus, right? He knows enough to know that if these guys are preaching Jesus, my time is limited because if Sergius Paulus understands the gospel, he's going to kick me out on, his ear, on my ear. So he's, don't listen to these guys. Snake oil. But Proverbs tells us, in Proverbs 12:5, the thoughts of the righteous are just, but... The counsels of the wicked are deceitful. And so Saul, who is now called Paul, this is the last place we see Paul, we see Saul named by his Jewish name. He now starts going by his Roman name, which is Paul. The other interesting thing that you see in this particular short little passage right here is it goes from being Barnabas and Saul to being Paul and Barnabas. They've been together for over 10 years. Barnabas the encourager has been the one that has been alongside Saul, and has encouraged him, brought him to Antioch to teach, stood by him at Jerusalem. Listen to him. This guy really did get saved. He knows what he's talking about. He's had a real conversion. Listen to him. Oh, and by the way, he's going he's to write the majority of the New Testament, just so you know. Barnabas was right to encourage him. But now, Barnabas is in his shadow. Now, do you hear Barnabas complaining? No. Matter of fact, in, in a couple of years, when they finish this tour, Barnabas is going to go, I've done everything I can for you. You're, you're going to take somebody else with you next time. He, he says, I've done what... God has called me to do. It's taken him quite a while. But he says, that's what God called me to do, is to make you famous. Another guy like that, John the Baptist. It's not me you're looking for. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so we see Paul now, as, he, as he's called, Paul stands up and it says, 
filled with the Holy Spirit, he addresses Elimaeus. Now, when you think about somebody filled with the Holy Spirit, and they say, I have a message for you. How, what does it normally sound like? Oh, wow, You're, God's going to bless you. God's got a wonderful ministry for you. Oh, it's, it's wonderful. Well, in this case, empowered by the Holy Spirit, what does he say to Elimaeus? So be careful if you want a word from the Holy Spirit, right? Because he looks at him and says, You who are full of deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of righteousness, will you not cease to make the crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Now you're going to be blind. God's going to get your attention. That's not very Christian-like. Oh, it sounds a lot like somebody else I know by the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, you whitewashed sepulchers, you brood of vipers. You see, God calls out sin, and he doesn't do it all mamby-pamby. He says, you son of the devil. Now, I, I find it interesting that he chose to blind him. And I think he did it because of what he went through. Remember on the road to Damascus, God said, hey, I'm going to put scales on your eyes. You're going to be blind for three days. Go think about this. And we talked about that. What do you, when you're blind, what, you, don't, you can't watch anything. You can't read anything. You sit there with your thoughts. And, and Paul says to Elimaeus, I want you to go to your room and think about this. You've heard that, right? Oh, and by the way, nowadays, leave your phone. <laughs> right? Yeah. God says, you, you go to your room and you think about this. Because you are my enemy. You can be, my friend, you can be saved, but you're going to have to listen to Paul and Barnabas and what they have to say. And the wonderful thing out of this is that because of what happened with Elimaeus, Sergius Paulus says, I believe. You see, the, the sign of the miracle of Elimaeus being blinded was what gave the authority to what Paul was saying to Sergius Paulus. He says, you're right. You're right. The gospel is correct. And Sergius Paulus got saved because they preached the gospel. Now, they're going to leave there. They're going to leave Pathos down here on the end of the island, and they're going to sail north to Perga, or to Pamphylia, and then they're going to go up to another Antioch, Antioch Pisidian. Antioch that they left from is over here. It's kind of like going from, and not as far, but we think about Albany, Oregon, Albany, New York, 
or Albany, Georgia, or Albany, Pennsylvania, right? There's all kinds of Albanys. So we have two Antiochs that we're, we're going to look at in this passage. Well, they're going to get there, and then Paul's going to preach a message. So let's look at this. 14, well, actually, we'll, we'll run back to 13, because we've got to get them there first, right? 13 to 43. And this is Paul's first recorded, and I probably ought to get a drink of water before I read this long. This is Paul's first recorded message in the Bible. Now Paul and his companions put out, from, put out to sea from Pathos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, but John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But going on from Perga, they arrived at Pisidian Antioch, and on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. And after reading of the law and the prophets, the synagogue officials sent them, saying, Brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. And Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel, you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out from it. For a period of about 40 years, he put up with them. <laughs> I love that. He put up with them in the wilderness. When he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land as an inheritance, all of which took about 450 years. And after these things, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. And then he asked for a king, then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And after he removed him, he raised up David to be their king, and concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all of my will. And from the descendants of this man, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. After John had proclaimed before his coming of the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And while John was completing his course, he kept saying, What do you suppose that I, that I am? I am not he, but behold, one is coming after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brethren, sons of Abraham's family and those among you who fear God, to us the message of salvation has been sent. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers recognize him, neither him nor the utterance of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath. Fulfill these by condemning him. And though they found no ground for putting him to death, they asked Pilate to, that he be executed. And when they had carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and they laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those 
who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem and the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the Father that God has fulfilled this promise to our children in that he raised up Jesus. As he also said, written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no longer to return to decay, it was spoken in this way, I will give you holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will, not, you will not allow your holy one to undergo decay. For David, after he served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and has laid among the fathers and underwent decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Therefore, take heed so that the things spoken of the prophets may not come upon you. Behold, you scoffers, and marvel and perish, for I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. And as Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. Now when the meeting of the synagogue was broken up, many of the Jews and the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the grace of God. That's quite a message. God, God through Paul, says, hey, listen. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the Jewish people. Now, wait a second. All the way back when God called you back here on the road to Damascus, who was he sending him to? The Gentiles. Paul, I'm sending you to the Gentiles. What's he doing in a synagogue? Well, the Jewish people were still on his heart. You see, that was his, where he was raised. He was raised in the temple. He was raised to, to be a rabbi. And so his heart, he knew in the Old Testament that the Israelites were the apple of God's eye. So when he, when he goes to the synagogue, he goes out of his heart. He says, I want to give them the same chance that the Gentiles that I'm going to preach to. There are some of them who will believe. And in every place he goes, two things happen. Some of the Jewish people believe, and some of them get really ticked off. Because that's what God does. There's no middle ground with God. You either believe who he is, or you're going to say, ah, I can't. I can't get on board with that. As a matter of fact, that guy's preaching about Jesus. I think we need to kill him. And that happens to Paul on a regular basis. But that'd be enough to kind of say, am I in the right business? 
But here, as he talks to these, why did he talk to them? Because in Romans, he writes this. Paul writes, For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites. Paul had a soft place in his heart for the Jewish people, and so he goes to the temple to preach. Now, he is going to preach to the Gentiles, but he has that soft place in his heart. We all have that soft place in our heart because of when we see somebody maybe that is, is kind of like us, hard-headed, stubborn, right? And when we see somebody that's like us, we have a soft spot and say, wow, I want to go talk to that person. And you already have an end because you've been where they've walked. And that's where Paul was. Now, he preaches a great message, and I took the liberty of outlining it for him. Right? Because, you know, you know they, were, they were in the synagogue, and this, was, this would naturally occur, because at the synagogue, they would sit down and they would read the scriptures. They would read out of the Old Testament somewhere, maybe, maybe out of the Torah or out of the prophets, and they would read and then it so happened that, oh, hey, we have visitors from Antioch. And, uh, and, and, hey, do you have anything you'd like to say to us? Because it's always nice to have a visiting preacher, right? You're going to get two of them next week. It's always nice to hear somebody else. And so being a good preacher, you always have an outline in your Bible to preach. Because you never know when you're going to have to. I remember one, one Sunday I was the worship leader at another church. And, and we, our pastor was gone for that Sunday. And we had two services. And, and we had a kind of a little break uh, in between our singing time and our preaching time. And the uh, pastor that was supposed to come preach that Sunday had forgot and the head elder came up to me, and, and, uh, and I said, where's, where's so-and-so? Where's, where's Pastor Bob? He says, I don't know. He said, one of us is going to have to preach, and it's not me. <laughs> I, I learned real quick, you always have an outline in your Bible to preach from. But so, so Paul stands up. And the first thing he he talks to these Jewish people is the anticipation of the Messiah. See, everybody in the Jewish culture knew who the Messiah was. He was the one that was coming. And so he goes back, he goes all the way back to Egypt. Our people were in Egypt and they flourished there and God brought them out and he put up with us for 40 years in the desert. I love that line. And he said, then he brought us in, and he brought us into the, into the land. And then he brought us judges. And then he brought us, you asked for Saul. <laughs> you wanted a king, and he gave you Saul, and Saul was not a good king. But then he gave you David, a man after God's own heart. And he gave the Davidic covenant. 
that through the line of David, the Messiah would come. Guess who that is? Jesus Christ. That's why we see the genealogy of Jesus come through David. He says, the son of David was born in the city of David. And he takes him back through and they're kind of like going, okay, I've seen, I seem to remember some of these things, that the, these prophecies about who was coming. And he says, ah. He has to say, and he says, you are, were and you still are anticipating the Messiah. Good news. I want to tell you about the arrival of the Messiah. You see, the Old Testament said he was coming. John the Baptist, which everybody knew about because he was a pretty famous preacher, he baptized repentance and then he pointed and said, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I am not even able to take his sandals off. He's here. He came. He did miracles in front of all the people in Jerusalem. He taught in the temple. And they missed it. They condemned him. Though he, there was no cause for that. He's here. Then he talks about the actions of the Messiah. You go down to verses uh, 26 through 31. He says, Jesus brought the message to the Jewish people. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. My Father and I are one. They missed it all. But then he said, he was innocent, but they crucified him anyway. Now that's the end of the story, isn't it? Oh, wait a second. It was the end of the story for a lot of people who wanted to claim that, but not for Jesus, because he said, God did what? Raised him up from the dead. Amen. The resurrection is what makes all the difference. Amen. Wave the hanky, absolutely. You see, the resurrection, and he says, that's what made the difference. Jesus didn't stay in the grave. You want to go visit it? Go to Jerusalem right now, and you can see the empty tomb. You see, we go now, and we, we can go visit, and it's been so many years later, there's, ah, we think that's the one. Maybe it's over here. Back in those days, you could have visited the, the tomb of Jesus to see that it was empty. The actions of the Messiah. He didn't stay dead. He rose again. And finally, the appeal, the appeal of the Messiah. In verse 32, he said, we preach the good news, the gospel. Isn't that what you want to hear? You ever have anybody come in and say, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. Which one do you want first? Right? Well, he didn't bring any bad news. The bad news was already there. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. They knew that. 
Their whole system taught that. Their whole system taught them that if you want forgiveness of sin, you've got to bring the lamb and you've got to cut its throat. And blood has to fly everywhere. And it goes around and it goes on to the altar. That's the only way you have forgiveness of sin. But Jesus said what? My blood covers it all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. You see, that's the appeal of the Messiah. First of all, he brings you good news. The gospel. Secondly, a few verses down, he says, I bring, he brought us forgiveness of sin. That's what the world wants today, isn't it? We have a world out there that walks around in guilt, walks around in shame, because they know what they've done. In their heart, God placed from the time of their birth a conscience. And that conscience says, you're guilty. Everybody's seeking forgiveness of sin. And he says, Jesus is the only one who gives the forgiveness of sin. It was his death on the cross that paid the price for our sin. You can be free. And over and over in this last section, he goes back to the Old Testament all those verses he memorized that the, that the rabbi gave him every month at church, oh, excuse me, at synagogue meeting to memorize. He memorized them. And over and over he tells them, this is what the Psalms 2 says this. And then he goes on, he tells them all of these Psalms, all of these scriptures, and he says, listen, Listen, verse 39, and through him everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Do you want to be free? Yesterday, one of the, one of the songs that Petra asked to be sung was Waymaker. He is the way maker. If you've got chains, he'll break them. If you've got addictions, he'll break those addictions. If you have guilt, he will give you relief. If you have sin, he will forgive those. He makes the way that is the appeal of the Messiah. And that appeal was so strong, they said, don't leave, guys. Hang out. And they hung out their trip. This first missionary trip took them two years. I mean, they didn't go that far. But it took them two years because everywhere they went, when people heard the gospel, they said, we like that. We want to hear more. And people got saved. They were asked to leave. And I love 
the very last line of verse 43. It says, continue in the grace of God. Continue in the grace of God. See, that's the first time they had heard grace. Up until this time, it was the law, the law, the law, the law. The law condemns. But now they heard grace. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all my sin. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon from all my sin. Continue in grace. As we come to communion, I think that's a great transition. Up until Jesus died on the cross, we had no recourse but the law. The law condemned us. Romans talks all about that. And then Jesus said, listen, brothers, in a few hours from now, the law will be shredded. The temple, the veil in the temple, will be torn from the top to the bottom, opening up a direct access to the grace of God. You will no longer be under the law. The law will only work to condemn you. But I come to bring you grace. We have communion in the middle, the back two corners and the front two corners. The cups are stacked with the wafer at the bottom, the juice at the top. There's gluten-free options in the middle of each tray. As you take your cup, your cups, I want you to think about the grace that God bestows on you. Maybe you haven't received that grace yet and you said, wow, how, how do I do that? Believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Believe that the blood that was shed on the cross was for your forgiveness of your sin. And then believe in the resurrection. Believe that God raised him from the dead so that you can have eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then follow him as Lord and Savior. Let's pray.